Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that your word is living and we come with it open this morning with a desire that your spirit will cause it to become alive to us in a personal way, to instruct us, but also to challenge and encourage us and all that we need, we need, that you know we need individually. So Lord, be our teacher, we pray, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Um, the last of this series of going through uh, an overview, if you like, of the book of Acts, uh, based on the verse um, and the words of Jesus when he said, I will build my church. And then uh, we looked um, in previous Sundays to all that Jesus did in orchestrating and fulfilling those very words that he will build his church despite the opposition and uh, despite the challenges that they faced, uh, that he, present by his spirit, would do that and did do it and is still doing it today. Today, it's into all the world, which is really the rest of the book of Acts, but um, uh, we're looking particularly at chapter 10 and then through 11 through 15, we'll touch down on uh, a couple of areas there as well. Dr. James McDonald uh, is a senior pastor of the Chicago Bible Chapel, a big church. And one day, to tie in with his message that day, he decided he would disguise himself as a homeless man and he would make his way, which he did, uh, to the entrance of the church on a Sunday morning. And as people entered the church, they saw this homeless man there, all disguised with a fake beard and um, all covered up so they wouldn't recognise him. And... Uh, People walked right past him, walked right past him. Uh, a few came up and gave him a little bit of money and then walked on. Uh, and then as the church service proceeded, there came a time when, and of course the uh, deacons and leaders knew that this was going to happen. Uh, then this uh, homeless man, they thought, walked with his trolley uh, down the aisle to the front when the notice was given that now the pastor will come and preach his sermon. And down comes this homeless man, walks up, leaves his trolley and comes up to the pulpit. And uh, there's photos, you can see it online, but he takes off his beard and he takes off all his, his uh, paraphernalia and puts on his normal jacket and he preaches his sermon. We can so easily be prejudiced in our hearts and minds. They say that the first five seconds of meeting someone, you form an opinion that tends to stay with you. Acts 10 is about Peter overcoming prejudice, deep-seated national prejudice against the Gentiles. It's like ingrained racism and it happens in every country. There's racism of different kinds. And when you're brought up with racism, I love that photo of two kids, uh, one obviously a different ethnic background to the other, and there's no 
nothing about racism in their thinking at all. They're just kids and they play with each other and put their arms around each other. It's, it's a learned thing, racism. And all other forms of discrimination and all other forms of prejudice. And for the Jew in that day brought up as a Jew, Peter and the rest of them were so soaked in the thinking that Gentiles were dogs, that they were unclean and that you had nothing to do with them. And suddenly the gospel has to go out to all the world, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That's Gentiles. So Jesus said, I will build my church. And he here in this chapter and the chapters that follow opens the door for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. In Acts 1.8, he said the gospel is to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and last week we saw that Paul's conversion included a message from the Lord himself saying that he was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. But in order for this to happen, Peter had to have his mind changed. Peter had to, along with the rest of the church of that day, that were predominantly um, Jewish or they were proselytes who'd become Jews, um, been circumcised and followed the law and were basically Jews, but they weren't by birth. And uh, the church was made up of them. And so they had to have their minds changed. Why Peter? Why did, why did the Lord choose Peter to do this, to, to uh, show him the vision and then send him from Joppa all the way to Caesarea? When in Caesarea, there was Philip the evangelist. That's where he lived. God could have said, Philip, just go down the road and around the corner. I want you to go to see this man Cornelius. But no, God chose Peter. Why? Well, back in the very verse that we, that our theme verse for this series is that Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or Peter. And he goes on to say, On this rock I will build my church, on the rock of his confession of Jesus Christ is Lord, that he would build his church. And he goes on to say, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then he says straight after that, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Peter was the one who had the keys of the authority to unlock doors and open them. It was Peter on the day of Pentecost who preached and the gospel went to the Jews. Then when some people in, in um, Samaria came to faith, uh, message got up to the to Jerusalem and, and the, it says that the apostles in chapter 8, the apostles and the leaders there said, oh, oh, and they sent Peter and John down to Caesarea and they went there and they laid hands on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. God particularly held back the Holy Spirit until they went there because God wanted to show the church that they, the Samaritans, were equally in, uh, welcomed into the church and equal with everyone else that was there. Now, the third area, the Gentiles. And the same thing happens. God sends Peter, the apostle, 
So Peter was given the authority to open the door to the Gentiles. And now this huge barrier that's in the way, the barrier of his mind. This chapter is not so much about Cornelius' conversion, but about Peter's conversion and the chapters that followed the conversion of the church leaders in their thinking. The Lord orchestrates it all. So first of all, he opened Peter's mind. In order for the gospel to go into all the world, he first opened Peter's mind. The prevailing view, as I've already mentioned, is that they, the Jewish nation, were called by God to remain completely separate from the Gentiles. In the Mishnah, which is the oral law, where the hundreds of laws that were added to the law of Moses... Uh, very particular laws about how you should live, what you should do, and uh, what you shouldn't do. They, it says there in the Mishnah that they were to have nothing to do with the Gentiles who were unclean. They were not to be a guest in the home of a Gentile. They were not to invite a Gentile into their home. They were to not even eat food that was prepared by a Gentile. And if they did, they were unclean and they were... They, uh, were to go home and wash. And, and that's why the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, particularly the, the religious leaders, they wore these robes and when they walked down the street, they held them close in case their robe might touch a, a Gentile and they'd become unclean. It was so ingrained in them. And the mind of Peter was opened, first of all, by divine revelation. Midday, praying, hungry, Huge sheet comes down of all these unclean animals and birds. Eat. Not so, Lord. Have you ever said that? Not so, Lord. No, Lord. How can you add no to Lord? Either he's Lord, and it's always yes, whatever you say, Lord. Or it's no, and he's not Lord. Not so, Lord. He had to say it three times to Peter. When in the scriptures three times something happens, it's really, really important. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. He's he's holy, holy, holy. Get it. It's so important to know that. And so other passages too. And here, three times. Peter had already dropped some of his Judaistic, uh, that's Jewish, practices. He was staying at the house of the tanner, who was, quote, unclean because he dealt with dead animals and was on the edge of town. But Peter was staying there, so it shows that he was, he was moving in the right direction. He had a heart to do what God wanted, and, and, and that wasn't a problem for him. But he was perplexed, it says. And the word there used in the, in the, in the Greek, the word that's used is uh, perplexed. It really means a complete loss to grasp what God was saying to him. What? Eat those things? And as he was perplexed, 
Immediately, there was a knock at the or a clap or something at the at the gate. Because Gentiles who had come up from uh, Caesarea, they had um, they knew that they weren't allowed in that house because that was a Jewish house. So they had to stand outside. I remember when we were in Brazil and my parents were there as missionaries. Uh, you would, um, people would come to your door of your house, and normally the door's right on the street, and they'd clap. They wouldn't knock. That, that's their form. You hear this clapping out the front, and you know, what's going on if, if you're a visitor there? And, you, and it's just someone saying, I'm here, uh, can you open the door? Well, they were outside. And so not only did Peter have his mind opened by divine revelation, but by God's providence, just as he was still thinking about what God had revealed to him in this trance, this, this vision that he had, he heard this noise out there and people were saying, can we see Peter? And the Spirit of God told him to go down and speak to them. So there was that providence, God's timing, perfect, just at the right time. It's an evidence that God is in this. So later on, when he talks about this, he says, I came, he says to Cornelius, I came without hesitation. Notice he then invited them in. Wow, things are happening. Gentiles coming into a Jewish house. His mind was also opened to know God's great purpose. In verse 28, in relating this, he says, God has shown me. Yeah, God has shown me. And then in verses 34 and 35, God does not show favoritism, says Peter, but accepts all men or women, all people from every nation. God got through to him and got through this message that God loves the world for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The, the, the nation of Israel was God's purpose to bring the Messiah who would be the savior of the world. And God's plan was working out, but because they'd become so entrenched in their thinking, God's plan was being frustrated and God had to deal with that situation to forced the church into being what he wanted it to be, a witness to the whole world. They had forgotten. Salvation was not just of the Jews. It was, they thought, salvation was not just of the Jews, but for the Jews. They'd forgotten that God had called them to be a nation that would be a witness to the world, as it says in the book of Isaiah and elsewhere. So without God opening their minds, the apostles and the whole church as a whole, um, the apostles would never have gone into all the world. Large areas of this world would have been written off as being beyond the grace of God. And all of us, hands up all those who are Gentiles here, All of us, as Gentile believers now, may never have heard the gospel. 
His mind was also open to see true purity because the Jewish people thought that Gentiles were unclean. And then the mindset was that if this carried over into the church, this mindset into the church, it would have um, stopped the spread of the gospel. And so the voice from heaven, when Peter was on the roof and saw those the, the animals and the, and the birds that he was told to eat, um, the verse, um, it, it says in verse 15, the voice from heaven said, do not call impure what God has made clean. Jesus, in Mark 7 and elsewhere, he talks about this and he says, nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean. For it, does, it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In, this, it's, in saying this, it says, Jesus declared all foods clean. He goes on to say, but what isn't unclean about a person is what comes out of the heart. Evil thoughts, murders, fornication and wickedness and all that kind of stuff comes out of the heart. And finally, his mind was opened by his own pride. He realized, I have never, he said, I've never eaten anything that is uncommon. Sorry, (laughs) let's say it right. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Peter was proud that he'd never done that. Legalism of any kind feeds pride and self-righteousness. And we can be legalistic today. We can have our own views on what you should or shouldn't do, what you should wear or shouldn't wear, and all where you should go and where you shouldn't go. And we impose those rules on others and we become legalistic and we make judgments about people based on our own views on what is right and wrong. And it feeds pride and self-righteousness. And the application for all of this today is that the gospel forces us as Christians to remove all forms of prejudice, to love people, whoever they are, even if they really rile us and make us mad or even if they smell terrible. Or <laughs> I say that because I, um, I listened to a pastor from a church in, in New York, Simbler. You, um, uh, what's his first name? Jim Simbler. And he said that uh, there was a guy that was obviously homeless or something, came down, wanted to give him a hug. And he gave him a hug and the stench was so bad. But he wouldn't stop hugging him. Because that's all I remember of the story. But, well, yeah, I'll bring that into this message this morning. (laughs) I don't know why. No one here smells, don't worry. There's no application here. But seriously, we can have prejudice. And as Christians, we're to remove any form of prejudice. That doesn't mean that we don't stand up for truth and righteousness, for purity, for holiness, for morality. It, It doesn't mean that we accept the sins of the people. It means we accept the people and love them. And... Help them and love our neighbour as ourself, no matter who that neighbour is. Derek Thomas writes, 
prejudice still plays a disturbing role in church life today, we will need to ask ourselves some disturbing questions whether we are in need of repentance. So Peter's mind, the Lord opened his mind. That was the first barrier to the gospel going out into all the world. The second is he opened Cornelius's heart. Cornelius was one of six centurions. Uh, there were six in a, in a battalion and uh, each had 100 soldiers under them. That's why they were called centurions. Anyway, he was in Caesarea, which was one of Rome's most important military bases. And, he had, and God had prepared his heart to receive the gospel. First of all, he was sincere. He was devout, the word says. He was worshipful and reverent. He'd given up his pagan beliefs. He'd given up the practices that went with idolatry, and it was rife at that time, the Roman Empire. as a god for everything. And, of course, the emperor regarded himself as a god. So he was sincere, and the evidence is there that on the ninth hour, the 3 p.m. time, when the Jews pray, it's their time for prayer, the third, the sixth, and the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, he prayed. He was sincere in prayer, yet he was not saved. He was sincere in his lifestyle, but he was yet not saved. And there's still many people today who are sincere. They go to church. They even read their Bible and pray and do stuff, serve, but have never come to personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, received the Holy Spirit, been born again, become a child of God. He was not only sincere, but he was a seeker. He feared God, having turned from the pagan deities, and, but he was not a proselyte. He hadn't had himself um, circumcised. He hadn't uh, been put under the law where he must do all these things that the, the Jewish people did. He was just a sincere seeker. And I'll tell you a story about God's grace. Uh, John Siemens writes this story about in the early 1900s, a chief in Malaysia was repairing one of his wooden idols that had broken. So he was there trying to fix this wooden idol. And he thought to himself, this is foolish. Our hands are greater than what we worship. I'm fixing this and it's what I worship. Surely there must be a higher being. A higher being that I can worship. Then one day a missionary came and shared the gospel. And that was the answer for him. And there are other stories like that in New Guinea and other places where people have been prepared by God for the gospel. And they're ready to receive it. Thirdly, he was submissive. He said, different from Peter, Peter said, not so, Lord, 
This man said, what is it, Lord? There's a big difference. What is it, Lord? He listened. He obeyed. He sent his, his uh, servants uh, up to Jerusalem. Oh, no, over to um, Joppa. Then when he heard the message of the gospel that Peter presented to him in his house, Peter went into the Gentiles' house, and, and this man, knowing that God was going to bring Peter, he had gathered all his friends and family, everybody. There was a huge number there. We read about it. And Peter preached, and he, and it says, and all of them believed. And all of them were then baptized, along with a large number, it says. So God worked a miracle of grace. He opened the heart of Cornelius and his family and friends. The third thing that Jesus did in opening the door for the gospel to go to the Gentiles was to open the door to the church for the Gentiles by dealing with all the leaders and apostles as they faced the reality of what had happened and there was challenges to this. So in chapters 11, 13 and 15 in particular, uh, the importance of this event, of, of, of what Peter went through and then going to, to Cornelius' house and, and for them to be saved and, and, and receive the Holy Spirit in the same way as it says as happened on the day of Pentecost, showing again that Jesus wanted to show the world and the whole church that this was his doing. It wasn't Peter's doing. He is the one who's building his church and sending the gospel out into all the world. So the importance of it is that it's repeated twice in chapter 11 and chapter 15. Now that, that shows that you know, the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Luke wrote these things down to show the importance of this event. So he opened, the Lord opened the door, first of all, by, I'd like to use the word absolute, an absolute demonstration. There can be no doubt about this. God is doing this. It's his will. The Jews hated Caesarea. Caesarea had far more... Gentiles than Jews in there. It was the capital city and the center of Roman administration and culture. And had a temple dedicated to Caesar. It was uh, the um, city of, of, of Caesarea was regarded by Jews as not being even a part of Judea. The Gentile believers and the leaders criticized Peter for going there. In verses 1 or 2 and 2 of chapter 11. And Peter recounted the whole event precisely. Let me read it to you. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, notice that, a group within the church who were all about you must be circumcised, uh, to, be, to be a true Christian, and of course, this is dealt with a lot in the New Testament epistles because it's, it was such a divisive issue at the time. But anyway, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticised him, saying, 
you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained to them everything in order. And it says, Peter, when, when he had precisely, or in order is the word precisely, told them everything, showing that it was God's doing, notice what it says, they fell silent. <laughs> had nothing to say. They were so opposed to what he did, then they realized this is God's doing. God used, first of all, of course, visions, both Cornelius and Peter. God used the timing and providence, as I've already mentioned, the arrival of Cornelius' servants at the right time. The, the Holy Spirit directed Peter to go. The supernatural demonstration that the Spirit of God fell on them and they began speaking in foreign languages that they had no knowledge of in a miraculous way. So God showed that this was the same as what happened at Pentecost. No different. They're the same. They're welcome. And then the witness of the believers who accompanied Peter and went with Peter from Joppa to Caesarea and observed everything and they witnessed what happened. And so all of these things uh, together showed an absolute demonstration of God's intent in all of this. So this issue that threatened to divide the church... Um, to, to uh, include Gentiles on an equal basis as, Jew as Jewish believers was, at that point, uh, dealt with. And the Apostle Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, one of the passages that he deals with this, but um, I think it's Romans 15, he also talks about it. But here in chapter 2 of Ephesians, he says, Therefore, remember, talking to the church at Ephesus, which had a lot of Gentile Christians in there. He says, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth. You were separated from Christ, excluded from the citizenship of, in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Consequently, you, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of the household of God. And chapter 3, verse 6, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Amen? That includes me, and it includes, if not everybody, most of us here today. So the uh, opening of the door of the Gentiles to enter the church, first of all, by absolute demonstration, secondly, by apostolic declaration. Now in chapter 15, if you turn there, you don't have to, but I'll just tell you that at chapter 15, there was another issue that arose, the same thing, but others who came together in Jerusalem and, and it became divisive. Um, it came to a head, if you like. And so uh, the, this group of people in Jerusalem were saying it is necessary to circumcise these Gentile Christians and they must be 
ordered to keep the law. So the apostles and the elders sent for Paul and Barnabas and they came up and then Peter joined with them and they both presented Paul and Barnabas uh, he was still called Saul then. His name hadn't changed to Paul at that point. But So Paul and Barnabas shared how God had worked in miraculous ways and had brought all these wonderful um, Gentile people into the church. And, and then Peter joined with them and told his story again uh, that we've looked at in chapter 10. And so then James, who seemed to be the leader in Jerusalem of the the church there, he made a declaration and said, no, they're to be equally accepted and they're just not to eat food offered to idols and stuff, which is what nobody should do anyway. So um, the church, when they heard this, rejoiced. They were so thrilled that a declaration, a formal Binding declaration had been made for the church of God at large. And thirdly, he opened the door for the church to be accepted and incorporated into the body of Christ as equal partners in the life of of the Lord. He did that by actually doing it in chapter 13. You read in the first few verses there that While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, that is the leaders of the church there, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them, to which I have called them. And then verse 4, they were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit then you can read through the book of Acts and read the three missionary journeys and then Paul's uh, trip eventually to Rome where he reached out to the Gentile in, uh, Gentiles that he had any contact with. And the book of Acts finishes with that emphasis. So the door was opened by God initiating a missionary call to send out Saul and Barnabas, to reach out into the towns and the cities in the Gentile, predominantly Gentile areas of that that, um, world of the day, the Roman world of the day. The church did not choose Paul and Barnabas, nor did they volunteer. It was a God thing. The Spirit of God sent them out. And again, if the door had not opened, we would probably not be part of the body of Christ today. God calls us here at Pakenham to be a sending church. That's what churches do. They send. And if, if there's missionaries who we have sent out, then it's supporting them by prayer supporting them by financial help, supporting them in any way we can by encouragement because we are part of a a mission to the world. But it's not just a sending church. 
the challenge is for me and you today. We may not be sent by God to go across the sea to Ethiopia or somewhere like that, but we are called to go across the street, speak to our neighbours, speak to our friends and speak to our family in appropriate ways and be ready to share the gospel. We are sent. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Let's pray. Our Father, how we thank you for making sure that door remained open so that the gospel could go to the Gentiles and so we ourselves are blessed and brought to faith and brought into the body of Christ and have an eternal future in heaven because we've heard the gospel and we've responded in faith. Thank you, Lord. May we be your ambassadors and your witnesses to the world around us as you send us to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen.